Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. There's been a lot said about the extinction of the dinosaurs, but aside from the actual event itself, the violent and catastrophic nature of it all, as with the days and weeks, months and years immediately following it, well, we haven't talked about that a lot. I mean, how exactly did any species survive such a devastating event? And why those specific species? Well, Riley Black is a freelance science writer specialising in evolution, paleontology and natural history. And she's author of The Last Days of the Dinosaurs, An Asteroid Extinction and the Beginning of Our World. She joins me now. Riley, welcome to the programme. Just set the scene for us, if you don't mind. Uh, What was going on at the time of this catastrophic um, obliteration that happened 70 odd million years ago? And what sort of impact did it have on the creatures on this planet? So 66 million years ago, from what we're able to piece together from, you know, the limited fossil record that we have, you know, these are the days of T-Rex and Triceratops and big pterosaurs like Quetzalcoatlus. You know, sort of the age of dinosaurs was continuing unimpeded. And then basically, you know, on a springtime day in the Northern Hemisphere, just out of nowhere, you have this asteroid that strikes the planet. And it was really in the first 24 hours that made the critical difference for so many species on life on Earth. You know, previous mass extinctions, there have been four before this, and they had always been from terrestrial causes, things like massive volcanic eruptions, things that took tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of years to play out. This was a matter of, you know, days to three years at maximum. And what happened was you have all this debris, all this pulverized rock that's sent up into the atmosphere and spreading all over the planet. Have you ever seen a sci-fi movie, you know, the shuttle's re-entering the atmosphere, it's picking up friction as it's hitting the air? It's like that, but on a small scale, all these tiny chunks of glass and rock and shocked minerals and things like that. They're creating so much friction individually that it creates an infrared pulse. So it raises the global temperature, basically to broil what you would broil a chicken at. And that's what happened to most of the non-avian dinosaurs, that they broiled. Wait, how, how hot? Uh, about 500 degrees Fahrenheit. I apologize for not having the centigrade conversion um, off the top of my head, but it's pretty much like as hot as you can turn your oven. That's what the air temperature was like. So uh, I, I hadn't realized that. So obviously um, the asteroid hit. I thought it was the atmosphere changed because of debris and shock and so on, all the other sort of trickle down things. But you're saying that the the, the heat of, of this friction caused a 260 degrees Celsius cooking of the atmosphere was that pretty much immediately i guess yeah that was within the first 24 hours and it didn't last much beyond that but it's so intense that really unless you're an extremophile bacteria uh there's no way to be exposed to this and survive so survival is really a matter of inches you know the creatures that made it through were those that lived in watery environments that could get below the surface or below the soil there are a number of mammals and other creatures that burrowed into the ground we know from modern day forest fires that reach similar temperatures that it really only takes about a couple of centimeters of soil cover to mitigate the effects of that heat so if you're something like a t-rex there's really nowhere to run for this it's so hot (laughs) that forests spontaneously caught fire but if you're a tiny little mammal you could snooze in your burrow of you know a meter or less below the surface and be perfectly fine at least for that first day before that impact winter that you mentioned started to kick in okay so so that's that's pretty critical for almost any large mammal it, were there any mammals that that survived that that didn't burrow or were there any large dinosaurs that would have survived the first 24 hours we think no yeah that's a great question and that 
most non-avian dinosaurs, so anything other than birds, likely went extinct because they're just too big. Or they couldn't get underground. They can't suddenly decide to get under the ground. But it's also but, but there's no, but some of the protections that those dinosaurs has. I'm just I mean, these may be stupid questions, but um, you know, shelled dinosaurs. That's no that's no protection from that sort of heat for any period of time. That's right. Like nothing has evolved. There's no terrestrial organism that survived to withstand a 500 degree temperature spike. Um, that's something where it's like you know these animals. Even you know we think about this in terms of modern global warming, right? They, we look at what's going to come in the next century or so, and what, how many organisms are not going to be able to handle that because they're all balanced for the environment that they're in. So this was just so extreme that there was no way to get around this, and it did affect many of these organisms that we think of as survivors. So there was a mass extinction of mammals and there was a mass extinction of birds and lizards and fishes and things like that. So even though you had representative of each group survive, about 75% of species that we know about go extinct during this window. Yeah, that's that's a lot. And and so the 24 hours passes, Mm -hmm. but then you have to deal with the aftermath, the 28 days later. Um, Yes. If you get through that, then 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 you're doing okay. Which animals didn't after the after the immense heat and the impact? What happened next that peeled off another few couple of thousand or, or hundred thousand species? Yeah. So the area that the asteroid struck, what we call the target rock, was ancient limestone. So basically, it hit the remnants of a prehistoric reef. That once existed there. And there are all these sulfur-based compounds in those rocks that became aerosolized. They basically got pulverized to the point that they got shot up into the air. And we know from what we've done to our own atmosphere over the years that sulfur-based compounds like this are really good at reflecting sunlight. And it's estimated that there was enough that basically the sunlight reaching the Earth was curtailed by about 20%. So that basically broke down photosynthesis. You're basically pulling the rug out from underneath all these ecosystems, especially in the ocean. You have all these photosynthetic plankton that are in the fossil record and we can look at, and they almost entirely disappear during this time period because the sunlight is just not hitting the planet. So even if you made it through the heat, even if you're a small little mammal in your burrow and you emerge into this world, if you can't find food, you can't quite make it. And this might actually be what explains the survival of birds, why we have beaked birds around us today, while the toothy raptors and even toothed birds that used to exist went extinct in that those were carnivores. There was nothing for them to eat. But if you're a bird with a beak and you're evolved to eat seeds and nuts and things that were kept safe in the soil or whatever plant material you could find, then you could make it through. So there are all these other little filters that organisms had to pass through. And the extinction continued, even if you made it pass through that you know, first 24 hours, there was still this challenge. It's estimated that the impact winter lasted about three years. And even then we don't see life really start to really reseed and come back in a, in a way that would be like thriving, like a real recovery until about a hundred thousand years after impact. So, so how cold did it get after going to max oven temperature? How cold did it get for those three years? The temperatures wouldn't have been, you know, absolutely freezing. I know there's a lot of imagery out there of like impact winter dinosaurs are slogging through like ash and snow and toppling over. Unfortunately, they probably didn't even make it that far. Um, these temperature drops were, you know, on the order of maybe like nine degrees centigrade. So that might not sound like the most extreme thing, but it was enough for many environments. You know, if you think about the Cretaceous world, and it was a little bit warmer than the world that we live in today. And these animals are used to this. You know, they really have to either make it through adapt or go extinct those are the three options for them 
I've swam in nine degrees. I, I know how, how you can easily die in that yes. temperature. <laughs> it certainly felt like at the time. Um, so what happened then? Because you have this impact, you've got this heat, then you've got this extreme cold for so long. How did animals and plants bounce back? Right, so it's really the survivors that set up life to recover and to come back. So things like turtles and crocodiles and fish and mammals and birds. And often it's these organisms that um, seem like window dressing when we think of the age of dinosaurs. Like when you think about like, like a crocodile in a pond, you know, they're not the main event, but we know that they were there and they were ectothermic rather than being warm blooded and running around and roaring and doing all these complex things. But if you're cold blooded, if you're ectothermic, if you get your temperature from the outside and you don't need to eat as much because you're not moving around as much, it's easier to make every little bit count a little bit more and to kind of eke by and make it through. And there's a lot of the story that we're still trying to understand. Um, so much of what we know comes from the Western United States, areas like Montana and the Dakotas, where we have the before and after snapshots in the rocks. So we have the end Cretaceous rocks, and then we have the rocks from the next time period called the Paleocene. So we're able to see who survived, who went extinct, all that sort of stuff. But this is a global event. And there are probably you know, instances of creatures that have a refuge. They survived somewhere, and then they start to spread out all over again. So that story of recovery, we we know a lot about you know, sort of who made it through, but the sort of specific strategies that they might have relied upon were only beginning to really start to put that together. And so our ancestors as humans, um, do we know what, what sort of a shape we were back then? Yes, we do. And that's one of the things that absolutely blows my mind about this mass extinction in that the earliest primates that we know about is this little creature called Purgatorius. It looks like something um, like a modern day tree shrew, this little insectivore with this bushy tail and this kind of long shrew-like nose that lives in tropical forests. They evolved at the same time as T-Rex. So the first primates, the earliest members of our family, were around in the same time period as T-Rex and Triceratops, and they survived through the mass extinction. Hmm. And it's likely that they were able to probably not burrow underground themselves. We think they lived in the trees. At the time, they were running around munching on insects and things like that. But often, you know, animals that create burrows, whether those were mammals or turtles or alligators and crocodiles, things like that, they either abandon them or sometimes organisms share those underground burrows. So it's likely that our primate ancestors are able to find shelter for just long enough and just get by just enough of those scraps during that impact winter to, to make it through. But it's amazing we're directly connected to this story. It's not as if, you know, the mass extinction happened and then primates appeared or the earliest members of our family did. You know, we could have just as easily had our lineage snuffed out as soon as it appeared by this mass extinction. So it's really a wonder that we're here at all. When we think of, um, you know, this time, the image I have in my mind are these very lush vistas of, you know, mostly ferns, <laughs> I think, um, in these photographs. Um, when did Earth start to look like this jungled paradise once again with ferns everywhere. Yeah, I'm glad that you asked that because during the sort of the heyday of, you know, the big dinosaurs, you know, they didn't just live in their environments, they shape them. So if you think of something like Triceratops wandering through a woodland, where it walks, it's trampling down plants, it's eating plants, it's likely pushing over trees, things like that, you know, in the ancient past, there weren't grasses yet, but the habitats might have looked something like sort of parts of Eastern Africa today, where you have patches of woodland, these wide open spaces, because you have all these large animals wandering around. After those large dinosaurs go extinct, you know, there's nothing to open up the forest like that. Forests can grow denser. 
So by a million years after impact, which is a very long time, but it's also quite rapid when we think about recovery from mass extinctions that we've seen before, you start to have these really thick, dense, humid forest shove. And when you have a forest of that's that dense when you don't have big animals basically pushing it to the sides. You have habitats in the canopy and on the trunk of the tree at different levels at, at the surface of the soil and underground. So it was this crucible of evolution for all these surviving creatures that they had basically more hab- habitat for the space that they were in. And this is what allowed mammal evolution to really take off because as you get competition for food and resources and spaces to live, if you yeah. can't make it on the ground, maybe you climb the tree and you can evolve in a new way. The book has lots of uh, fantastic illustrations of the time period, what was going on. It's so, like many of um, Riley's books, it's beautifully written. It's called The Last Days of the Dinosaurs, An Asteroid Extinction and the Beginning of Our World. Riley, thanks for your time. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.